iTunes Celebrity Playlist Podcast. Well, hello there. Uh, my name is Adam Goldberg. I'm here with iTunes, and we're doing a, a celebrity playlist. Though perhaps in my case, it's more a character actor, sometimes filmmaker, occasionally musician playlist. But uh, but I do a- appreciate the sentiment. Let's open with. I don't actually know that we're going. They're going to use this order, but uh, let's uh, let's begin with a uh, a Dionne Warwick tune called uh, "Don't Make Me Over." It's uh, one of uh, Warwick's many collaborations with Burt Bacharach. You know, Burt Bacharach is you know always been a big impact on me and uh, their pairing to me I think is uh, is one of the better collaborations in, in popular music and this particular song is is just really uh, kind of a good gut-wrenching not quite sure a feminist overture per se I think it has those decided undertones and uh, ladies if you're ever upset and and and, and you need to vent um, vis-a-vis some popular music um, maybe this is the way that you can uh, you can cathart don't make me over Beach Boys song, and I, you know, it's it's difficult to pick any one song from a a band, uh, you know, or a musician that you. Uh, I mean, there's so many tunes you could choose from, um, and I guess just for the sake of making it slightly less uh, a slightly less obvious choice, perhaps than one might expect, uh, I picked uh, Little Bird, which was, I believe, originally appeared on the Friends album, though it comes compiled now with 2020, so it's like a double record. And it's a song that, as I understand it, I believe, is the first Beach Boys composition fully composed by uh, Dennis Wilson, at least to, to make it onto a Beach Boys record. And Dennis Wilson really, you know, is kind of one of the uh, underrated, unsung heroes of, of the Beach Boys, and he went on to do some really interesting music, both with the Beach Boys, such as they were in a, in a kind of post-Brian Wilson incarnation and an incarnation that didn't include Brian Wilson as much. Um, I really think Dennis, uh, you know, had some real serious chops and soul. And this is kind of before his voice got real, you know, kind of craggled and deep. There's another great tune I almost picked called Cuddle Up on Carl and the Passions, a later record. And then he's got a couple solo records, which I also believe you can find on iTunes, which are really interesting and kind of drenched with strings and pathos and underbelly of the west coast so here's this one little bird give a woman of a nook and told me not to worry about my life tree in my own backyard stands all alone bears fruit for me and it tastes so good So I had to choose a David Bowie tune. That was also difficult. There's so many David Bowies. But this is a record that I loved and was pretty enthralled by, you know, when I, I guess when I first started listening to David Bowie when I was a kid. And it's off the Station to Station record, which I guess isn't necessarily considered... I actually was reading the other night that it was considered a sort of modest 
failure somehow artistically or you know that it's cold and all that and it's part of the the beginning i guess of the thin white duke phase and it's sort of this kind of kind of bridges the gap between the soul of young americans and you know what would become his more sort of kraut rocky records and uh with with heroes and low and uh and lodger but i i love this record and uh i picked the song stay which is kind of a great cross between, I think, you know, that, that the sort of soul-inspired stuff that he was just coming out of, but somehow managed to, manages to be kind of a precursor to, you know, that whole Thin White Duke era. I don't really, I guess you should just listen to this song, but it's a, it's a good groovy song. I think, uh, well, geez, I like it. I, I have no idea whether you like it or not. You probably will. It's David Bowie. You pretty much can't go wrong unless you sort of start to go back into, like, you know, laughing gnome territory. And that's maybe the only thing I might take issue with. All right, here you go. Please light, light is so big when it brings someone to this time tomorrow. I'll know what to do. I know it's happened to you. Say, that's what I meant to say. Or do something, but what I never say is stay this time. I really meant to so This next tune is a is a standard uh, that John Coltrane does uh, called "Every Time We Say Goodbye." Every time we say goodbye is one of my favorite tunes, one of my favorite standards. And this is a beautiful Coltrane version. I, I I chose this again. I mean, like I didn't know where to begin with Coltrane, but he, um, you know, I was really steeped in in a lot of jazz um, when I was uh, when I was younger, and um, and Coltrane was definitely the guy who sort of kicked it all off. And I think this is probably one of the first records though strictly speaking i believe it was a cassette tape and it's off of my favorite things and this is uh coltrane on the soprano sax and it's you know this is sort of you know around the time things started to get a little nuts with his sound but still you know um i think he maintains a real you know a real beauty and um this is just a just a great tune I don't know that there's there's a dearth of Neil Young tunes on these playlists, but I had to throw my two cents in. So I went with uh, Stupid Girl, which is on uh, Zuma. This whole record's just got a great guitar sound on it. I would say that my own guitar playing as I play music or I play musician, depending on your cynicism. I don't know if it's so much influenced by Neil Young so much as it, as it is by default influenced by Neil Young, which which is not to say that he's not a great guitar player, because he is, and I think he sort of makes fun of himself for not being a great guitar player. I think he's really one of the most interesting guitar players, rock guitar players out there. But uh, yeah, his sound and uh, clearly influenced tons and tons and tons and tons of bands. 
Oh, I have a little, I guess, a s- sort of an actor anecdote with this, which is that my first movie, uh, Dazed and Confused, the very first time you see my character, Mike, the camera's like tracking, and right before, I forget who it is who comes up to us and, you know, calls us Woodward and Bernstein or something, but I'm doing some kind of motion with my hands, some sort of awkward, strange movement, which I'm sure is, was not the last awkward, strange movement I made in that movie, but it's some kind of uh, air guitar thing I'm doing, and I'm not singing out loud because I was told it was going to cost them $10,000 but I am having a sort of improvised conversation with Anthony Rapp um, about how much I, I love as the character the song Stupid Girl. I saw you in Mercedes Benz Practicing self-defense You got it pretty good I guess I couldn't see your eyes Here's a Curtis Mayfield tune uh, called The Other Side of Town. As a middle-class white kid who grew up uh, around Wilshire and Crescent Heights uh, in Los Angeles, this this song really spoke to me. Really, actually does speak to me. So I'm a big Curtis Mayfield fan. Really, some of these songs I'm choosing, I've, I've always been really, really uh, kind of obsessed with and really kind of had a big effect on, you know, my eclecticism or whatever as a, as a, as a kid and growing up. Um, I think Curtis Mayfield, I came to kind of probably late, but been listening to a lot of them. And a lot of these songs, actually, I'm making a, a record now, I started to realize encompass kind of a, a bizarre array of influences, which seemed to be somewhat represented by this playlist. I suppose if you listen carefully to this this record whenever it comes out, um, that I did, you might hear some. I, I, I have a falsetto that I occasionally find myself possessed by, and uh, can't imagine that in some way I haven't been uh, inhabited by the uh, spirit of Curtis. I'm from the other side of town Out of bounds To anybody Who don't live around I never learned to share Or how to care I never had no teachings About being fair Depression is part of my mind The sun never shines on the other side of town. Now I'm just going to shamelessly plug a a song from from my record, which you can purchase on iTunes, because, I mean, let's face it, uh, I made this for the love of it. But then it really ended up it ended up costing quite 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 a bit more than I'd expected, and I'd really like to sell some records here. So let's pick a, a sort of accessible one, an entry level Landy song. Landy is my musical misadventure. The record is called Eros and Emissions, and this song is called uh, Every Time It's Over. The record I made is compiled in many ways, I guess you could say, from uh, a cross between home recordings, uh, some recordings I did in a studio in Oklahoma with Stephen Drozd uh, from The Flaming Lips, uh, some more recordings I did with uh, at Aaron. Espinoza's studio in Los Angeles, some with uh, a band, uh, members of, the, of a band called The Black Pine, whose music you can also actually find on iTunes, which is a great local band. Uh, this is one I did at home um, with a couple of old friends, actually. One of my, uh, in fact, a, a guy, the guy playing, I think, piano and bass on this track, uh, Eric Siegel, played my dad in my junior play in high school, whatever that's worth. Uh, every time it's over 
off of the Landy record, Arrows and Emissions. Every time it's over It's over some more Every time I see her I see her some more So this is an artist called Colleen. I've become kind of, I don't want to say obsessed with this music, but this is just some really beautiful, and I don't, you know, it's, I don't want to pigeonhole it, but I guess if you had to in broad terms, you could say it falls under the category of ambient music or something, but that makes it sound like hotel lobby music. I mean, this is, um, you know, she started out doing samples, um, strictly speaking, I think, as I understand it, um, sampling her own record collection and sort of distorting them and making loops out of them and that sort of thing, but then started uh, playing uh, a lot of the instruments to kind of create a similar effect um, on, on some of the later records. So everything from, you know, um, strange bells and cellos and um, just swirling, you know, sort of aquatic sounds. I go to sleep to one of her four records each each night, so, you know, everyone has their own particular association with a record or a song. Mine is sleep. Well, actually, in my case, it's more insomnia. This is a song um, or a, a composition called uh, Sun Against My Eyes. Okay, here is a, a Paul McCartney or a Paul and Linda McCartney uh, song uh, called Backseat of My Car from the Ram record, which I think is the second post-Beatles Paul record. I think there was Paul McCartney, the self-titled solo album, and then I believe it was Ram. I could be wrong. And this is definitely one of those things I came to late, and now is, you know, for sure, there's, uh, it's, it's definitely one of these kind of records with like kind of indie cred. In fact, there was a, uh, a cover um, uh, album made of, of every song from Ram by a bunch of local LA bands, including Early Mart, who I, well, I work with Aaron Espinosa from Early Mart. Um, so sort of a cross between Aaron and then, uh, I think my girlfriend's friend just said, you have to listen to this Ram record. And, you know, I had a, I was one of those people, I mean, frankly, I'll, be, I'll admit this till pretty recently that, you know, it didn't disavow Paul McCartney. I was clearly aware of his abilities and, and his contributions. It's just that it felt like you had to take a side and, you know, so I took the kind of Lennon side, you know, uh, the how can you sleep side you know but i mean this is just brilliant uh, this whole record is just absolutely brilliant and there's and i think it actually did have a big sort of influence on, on what i've been doing lately and just in terms of creating songs that aren't necessarily epic in length but somehow epic and they they feel like little journeys you know there's a lot of different sort of changes and parts to these songs uh, anyway this is just one of my favorite off that record um and it's called backseat of my car the lazy lights are pretty we may end up in Mexico City, but listen to her daddy's song, making love is wrong. Ooh, we're just busy riding, sitting in the backseat of my car. Ooh, 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 
maybe one of my favorite jazz tunes. You know, and again, it's like when you start feeling like, oh, I need to represent uh, this particular artist or this particular genre of music, it's nearly impossible to know where to start. So I just kind of went back to the things that really got me, you know, interested and moved by jazz when I first did, rather than throwing out, I don't know, some totally, you know, insane, you know, Roland Kirk stuff that might be a little much for our purposes here. So this is a Miles Davis tune called It Never Entered My Mind. Well, it's a standard that he did called It Never Entered My Mind. Um, that's on the working no G, working record by Miles Davis. It's also featured in the film Lenny that Bob Fosse directed about Lenny Bruce, where Dustin Hoffman plays Benny, uh, Lenny Bruce, and it's, it's uh, woven into that film in a fairly haunting fashion. Okay, so here's my T-Rex represented song. I was going to kind of be trying to go like, I don't know, weird with it or find like a Tyrannosaurus Rex, his, his early incarnation, his pre-glam incarnation. But at the end of the day, this is probably my favorite T-Rex song and it's off his, I guess, his, you know, classic, probably most classic record, Electric Warrior. Um, and it's Cosmic Dancer by your pal and mine, T-Rex. Is it wrong to understand? inside a man What's it like to be alone I like a bit to a balloon Okay, this next artist I have a lot, a lot to say uh, about I'll try to edit myself. This is an artist called Jimmy Scott, uh, who's a, a jazz artist, a vocalist, who in recent years, and when I say recent, uh, probably since the early 90s, had a resurgence. And, you know, his music has appeared in um, a couple of movies. I, I think that even uh, David Lynch had something to do with um, his sort of unearthing, if you will. He was a, you know, really brilliant, you know, almost, you know, uh, I mean, angelic sounding uh, singer way, way, way back and, you know, fell upon hard times and weird dealings with a record, with his record company and um, and basically kind of got screwed and spent many years sort of living in obscurity actually as a, as a janitor um, and was sort of rediscovered. And there's a really beautiful documentary actually about um, this whole journey of his. The name of it escapes me, but I'm sure if you Google Jimmy Scott documentary, I, I would imagine it would come up. I saw Jimmy Scott. In fact, I heard about Jimmy Scott in 1993 or something when I had heard that Mark Eitzel of American Music Club, of whom I had been a very big fan, said that Jimmy Scott was his favorite vocalist. So, uh, coincidentally, either that day or the next day, around that time, Jimmy Scott was playing at Catalina's Bar and Grill, a jazz club here in Los Angeles, and I saw him, and I saw him perform this song, Sometimes I Feel Like a Motherless Child, and was, I mean, moved ineffably, uh, you know, just really beyond description. And this was sometime shortly before I wrote my first movie, which was called Scotch and Milk, and I wrote a scene in it where these guys who are sort of kind of pretending that they're one thing and trying to live this sort of anachronistic, old-timey-like existence um, in modern 
modern day Los Angeles and they go and see Jimmy Scott play at Catalina's Bar and Grill and he sings Sometimes I Feel Like a Motherless Child and I assumed I would write that in as a placeholder and eventually get uh, Dave Grusin or something. It was just not to malign Dave Grusin. I'm just free associating. Anyway, and uh, I uh, I wrote, I don't know how we did this exactly. We basically offered him a job. You know, we offered him a gig and, you know, fly him out and, and to pay him and, and we would film him playing live because we weren't going to have time or the money to have him actually record a new track and um, film him lip syncing and then edit it later and all that sort of thing so we actually just filmed two passes of him singing live and i uh, cut it into the movie anyway jimmy scott also as a human also like an angel um a beautiful spirit can't say enough sometimes i feel like a motherless child To the Lord Okay, we're about a quarter of the way through. Just kidding. Uh, we're getting there. The next tune is, uh, there's something I was doing on this record that reminded me of this song, something that we've been recording recently. I don't think that what I'm doing now is a ripoff, but boy, there's some rhythmic similarities. Then I started listening to this a lot, which I shouldn't have done because now I can't claim that, no, I, I wasn't aware of the song. But anyway, I was always a big Brian Eno fan. My friend, my roommate uh, from college, a dear friend who actually passed away a few years ago named John Glick, um, who turned me on to a lot, a lot of the, the sort of more contemporary music. Well, I don't know if it's so contemporary anymore, but um, a lot of the kind of post-new wave, post-punk stuff that I, you know, still listen to to this day turned me on to Brian Eno's solo stuff. And uh, this is uh, from a record called Taking Tiger Mountain by Storm. I read that Bauhaus covered this song. I didn't know that, although I did see Built to Spill cover it in concert, and they did an unbelievable job. Anyway, it's called Third Uncle. It's Brian Eno. It's off his second record. something likely you'll stop listening to after about three or four minutes but i figured i'd put it in here it's a a, a guy who's considered a pioneer a pioneer of minimalist music named steve reich who is i you know in the same general vein as a philip glass who you know is maybe a uh, a more well-known figure probably in large part due to all the film composition uh, composition that philip glass does but steve reich he started out doing these like early samples and he would sample for instance in this case this is a, a guy's sermon and he would take a sample of the sermon and he would 
play, uh, you know, sort of play two tape loops simultaneously and then phase one slightly so that it would go off and then take another tape loop and phase it slightly more until it sort of creates its own rhythm. But the way that he, he began doing this was in an extremely mathematical way. It sounds a bit like if you took, um, you know, for instance, a, a sample and put it through like a space echo and, you know, has that kind of tape delay, tape saturation quality by the, by the end of it. But he's doing this in an extremely mathematical way. And he took these early compositions, if you want to call them that, and eventually ended up applying the theory to um, some really beautiful, you know, more strictly speaking, musical compositions. For instance, um, something I would have put here, I think it's like 40 minutes long, which is music for 18 musicians. I would buy that. And, uh, and he went on to also incorporate samples in some of his music that became kind of decidedly more political in tone, um, using historical events, using samples, sound clips from those. He did a thing about New York City or city sounds using, you know, with a very, you know, an early sampler, um, you know, doors being shut and horns honking and people walking by and and creates and then you know weaves that into his um kind of orchestral compositions and i always and you know i'm trying to think steve reich the first time i heard steve reich was actually i had heard that they were a big influence on sonic youth this film that i i just did that's coming out um i play a kind of a weirdo minimalist musicians and and, and we make fun of the guy i guess you know it's a bit of a satire but this guy's stuff is is uh, uh i mean some people say he's actually the most influential living composer so anyway there you have it steve wright it's gonna rain part two the barber tell me they knocked up on the door and then a skin came off their hands my lord, my lord. I said, until the skin came off their head, they cried. I could just hear them cry now. I could hear them say, oh, Noah, would you just open the door? But Noah couldn't open the door. It had been sealed by the hand of God. Glory to God, God. It had been sealed. Couldn't open the door. But, oh, Noah, they cried. You just open the door. Couldn't open the door. But sure enough, hallelujah. This is an artist that... A bunch of people kind of at the same time turned me on to um, some years ago when I when I was living in New York uh, briefly uh, and I remember it was post 9-11 it was post some relationship breakup it was post what felt like everything and sh and then Karen Dalton Karen Dalton came into my life you know at the time I don't know how much more information you can find out about her online but she's always been a kind of inscrutable figure in folk music she made these two records I was you know, it's the lore that she was sort of almost tricked into recording uh, the first record uh, that uh, she hated performing, but she was, you know, clearly this incredibly gifted young woman who had moved from Oklahoma to New York and, and had fallen in with the kind of, uh, well, Bob Dylan for one, apparently, uh, Fred Neal, who I think um, is the one who, who really uh, got her to make these early recordings. And she played a long neck banjo and a 12 string guitar and probably be obvious, but she sounds a lot like Billie Holiday. Um, um, so she's some sort of Oklahoman folk version in a way, but without aping Billie Holiday. I mean, she's just, I, you know, her voice is, I think, one of the most moving. She died, I think, in 93. Um, I think she died of AIDS. And there's nothing that thrilling or um, uplifting about her life story so much as I can find out about it. But um, her music is really, really moving. And this is off of uh, her first record. The second one has got a bunch of... I, I, is probably a little more well known and it's got, you know, it's got a band on it and it sounds a little bit more like kind of session guys. Um, this is really just her and like, you know, 12 string guitars and banjos and stuff. And it's just a really intimate record. Um, and the song I chose from it is Right, Wrong, Already. Um, and it's off of the record, uh, You Never Know Who's Gonna Love You the Best. I could have told him that another time 
another place Maybe later, oh, I'm gonna love you better Right, wrong, or ready Right, wrong, or ready If he's right, wrong, or ready He stays on my mind I could have told him that a man pays his own dues for his own prize and his own All right, I had to pick a John Lennon song, and uh, I picked God off of the Plastic Ono record. Uh, yeah, as I guess I'll just say I think it, it's probably my favorite song, so I guess I'll leave it at that. God is a concept. to pick an Elvis Costello song, although I know he has a fairly visible presence on iTunes. I'm not necessarily turning you on to anything you don't know already, but I guess if you were to sum up what my whole thing was when I was, I don't know, 12, 13, 14, 15, um, 16, 17, 18, 19, uh, I could keep counting up to my present age, but we'd be here for a while. I guess if you said Bowie, Elvis Costello, Coltrane, that would give you some sense of how ostracized and picked on I was at high, in high school. No, it, uh, you know, I think it's a good, it's probably a good barometer. Anyway, so I had to pick an Elvis Costello song. I mean, I really didn't know where to begin. I was going to put I Want You from Blood and Chocolate, which was always, you know, was, was sort of my, <laughs> been some sort of anthem of mine. But I picked Don't Let Me Be Misunderstood off of King of America, which is a cover song. Um, I, but I remember it being the thing that actually got me into Elvis Costello when I hadn't been prior when I was uh, a kid. Interesting, I think that was the single from the King of America record. Um, though it's a cover, it felt very much like his own. Nina Simone certainly does a pretty wrenching version of it too. Yeah, and that was just around, I remember, and King of America was the first record I bought when I had my driver's license. That's the other significance, is that I left my dad's house after I, we came back from the DMV and he lived all the way on one side of town. I had to go to my mom's on the other side of town. And it was my first solo drive and I stopped off at the now defunct Tower Records. Well, the now defunct anything records, I guess. And, um, and I picked up this record and so this is the first thing I listened to while I could legally drive. Baby, can you understand me now? Sometimes I feel a little mad. Don't you know that no one alive can always be an angel when things go wrong? I seem to be mad. Of course, I have one more. Uh, Going the Distance, Bill Conti's uh, final, uh, it's the final theme in the Rocky movie. I was going to put in Get a Fly Now, which we all know, um, and I'm obsessed with that synth thing, you know, that Moog sound, that, you know, the, the Moog synthesizer sound, you know, that thing that kind of matches the violins on the Gonna Fly Now. Um, I didn't, uh, I didn't include that 
just because I think this is the one that if I listen to, I start crying. The other one I get really amped by, um, and this is the one I listen to, I start crying. I, I saw Rocky when I was, I guess, seven, and just weeping. I still weep every time I see that final fight scene, uh, and this is the music that accompanies it. Chills, weeping, uh, what else? Oh, I wanted to be a boxer, so then I started taking boxing classes, but uh, somehow I ended up taking boxing karate classes, which was, I, I think, effectively kickboxing, though I didn't realize that at the time, or it wasn't called that at the time. I believe I made orange belt after m many attempts in several years. I think I maybe got my orange belt somewhere in my mid-40s. I don't really think there's any better way to end a playlist than with going the distance. You've been listening to iTunes, a half-Jew character actor, sometimes filmmaker, an occasional musician playlist, uh, which is a which is a very uh, sort of micro niche of their celebrity playlist um, podcast, which uh, you know I'm very fortunate to have been a part of. But I think, given how small that niche is, uh, I was pretty much the go-to guy on that. iTunes celebrity playlist podcast.